where we interview people in different jobs to see what other ways there are to make money. We're your hosts, Jen and Joyce, and just a little background for you all. Uh, one of the reasons why we're doing this little podcast is Joyce and I worked at the same company before, and we quit during the pandemic, and now we're not quite sure we want to go back to doing what we were doing before, and so we're kind of smorgasbordging what other people do to make money, which yeah. I certainly am not making any money right now, which is kind of a problem. <laughs> How are you doing, Joyce? I'm also starting to feel that pressure, for okay. sure. So what are you, are, is there anything you're cutting back on or you're being mindful of? Uh, coffee. Really? Coffee is like a luxury. Well, like meaning like like I am not cutting it out of my life. I'm just cutting out like going to the cafe. Because mm. that would be my treat, especially during the pandemic. Um, like, well, after quarantine, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. but when things started opening back up again, like going to the, to the coffee shop to get yourself coffee was like such a treat because we like weren't able to travel anywhere. Um, and so I've since tried to cut that out and just make my coffee at home. How do you, what's your method of brewing? Cold brew. Cold brew. So you do like the toddy, what is it called? The tot, the Todd. I have not been using like any sort of fancy like mm. tools or anything like that. I just have a French press and I've been mm. using that. Yeah. Well, I always recommend the AeroPress. If you're, are you familiar with the AeroPress? No, I'm not. It's probably not the best for cold brew, but it's this, uh, frankly, it looks like uh, potentially a salacious product. Uh, it like, it kind of looks oh, like a fetus pump. It looks like a fetus pump. <laughs> And, uh, and so, uh, it's a ba- basically you vacuum pressure the coffee out of the tube mm-hmm. and it makes espresso and it's, it's really great. And I like the ritual of it too, where it's like, you have to, they, you know, there's all sorts of best practices. Like you should have your coffee or you should have your water at 180 degrees, um, for the precise, like, or the best brewing of your, of your brew. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that's why I like making cold brew is because I you don't boil water. You just put Wait, like you just you just put water in a French press. You put water and coffee grounds, like coarse coffee grounds, in a French press and leave it for twelve hours. Hmm. Yeah. See, I think that this is this also speaks to patience um, because that <laughs> means you have to like have the forward thinking of it. And that's true that's kind of the, the tricky part sometimes I like forget to make it the night before and I'm like oh dang that was I a was, mistake uh I was talking to my therapist about this today and I'm, I'm making a point to just bring up that uh you know casually that I was talking to my therapist to just normalize it all but yes uh <laughs> I was I I have trouble with existing in the gray I need it like I'm black and white and I need it to be like it's this or that and I'm, I made the, con- or I don't know if I made the connection, but I was realizing that that is also why I'm probably an impatient person because I just want it to be like, when are we getting to either it being this or that? Because I don't like it where it is right now and we need to make a decision. And so, I see. Yeah. yeah. So then, so then the pandemic must have been really tough for you. Oh no, it was super easy for me and I didn't have any mental breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quit my job and, you know, start working at a comedy club. Essential crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, uh, no, I didn't do too hot with the pandemic. Um, 
Uh, oh, and also just as far as like other news for me, uh, I, so my husband and I, we got married during the pandemic, but we're having our party now this coming October, which sadly Joyce is unable to attend. Um, we, we mourn, but I'm um, very sad myself, but we are getting gifts from people that are declining right now. And which we also got your gift. Thank you so much, (laughs) Joyce. Um, but, uh, I asked for a mandolin. Uh, you know, like the, the slicer thing. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like I have this garden, I have cucumbers and it's, it's been awesome. And I wasn't thinking, and I didn't put the safety stuff on it. Oh my gosh. And I sliced my GD finger. Like no, I had to go, I had to go to an urgent care and get it glued. Like they couldn't even stitch it up. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and it was my first time using my uh, covered California health insurance because I've been pretty sick in the past, so we can't live without insurance, even with me not working. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm just not looking forward to whatever that bill comes back in. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, the insurance thing was like a lot more complicated than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like applying for the covered California stuff. I mean, it's great that they have that option, but apparently I don't, I don't meet the requirements for covered California. So I had to go through Medi-Cal. There's no, well, we can have a conversation offline because I feel like everyone's uh, qualified, but also uh, I feel like this is a good segue. Um, because I was just about to say, this oh is my awesome. God. <laughs> well, um, with all that said, I want to use this as our segue to introduce our guest for today. His name is Josiah Jenkins. He's one of the best people on this dang earth. And I'm going to let him introduce what he does in this world of ours. Well, hey, thanks for having me. And uh, I'll never turn down glowing praise, uh, even if it... <laughs> Even if it feels somewhat undeserved. Um, But uh, yeah, so my name is Josiah Jenkins, and I uh, am a risk management professional for a pediatric hospital uh, here in the L.A. area. Uh, And before that, I used to be a uh, workplace investigator, and before that, a litigator, um, a plaintiff side employment attorney. So have you always been... So just so because I think I... This is why I let people introduce their own roles, because I think I was going to say like... Uh, Josiah is a corporate lawyer, uh, and I don't know if that is at all close or true or a part of it. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's it's one of those things where I'm not actually technically an attorney uh, currently, but also I never would have gotten the jobs I've had had I not been an attorney. So I am licensed in California. I could, you know, write a will or um, send a nasty letter in a landlord-tenant dispute. Um, or anything else that a lawyer can do uh, by virtue of having passed the bar and you know paid the requisite fee. Um, but I'm actually not employed in an attorney role. So mm. even though a lot oh. of what I do interfaces with the legal world, I'm actually uh, not an attorney uh, in my current job. So your job's not going to bring you to court at this juncture? No. So unless I'm there to observe uh, a lawyer who's representing us, uh, because we mm. do... In my department, we do manage the outside litigation um, along with our insurance company. Um, And so there is still a lot of advantage to having had a litigation background. Um, And I will attend mediations and settlement conferences and things like that um, as well and work with outside counsel and our um, insurance carrier to, you know, decide our strategy and to negotiate what our plan is in terms of settlements and that kind of thing. So it's still interfacing with the legal world in a way. Um, 
but also more like the in-house kind of role that you might be picturing. It's also a lot of uh, finding a way to limit our exposure to lawsuits and and litigation in the first place, um, you mm. know, and and helping to support efforts to think strategically um, about not just litigation risks, but a wide variety of risks. I mean, ranging from how to avoid having people slip and fall when they come and visit us to, you know, how do we make sure that we are not uh, settling too many employment cases at too high a value, y you know, so it's a, a, a wide variety. Interesting. And sorry, can you actually, <laughs> this is exactly why I'm so excited about this podcast is because I have so many questions when people talk about their jobs. It's just like, there were like half of the words that you, you use. I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but if you could, <laughs> if you could, would you be able to give this your intro one more time? Cause I wanted to hear it all. Yes, so I am currently a risk management professional. Uh, my title is risk management program manager uh, at a pediatric hospital here in the mm -hmm. Los Angeles area, um, which I'm not naming because I don't want to run afoul of our uh, media policy. Smart, smart. Uh, I mean, that's mm -hmm. uh, yeah. that's lawyer talk for you. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. You're managing your own risk right there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and then before that, I actually um, I worked as an employment investigator um, actually at uh, my current employer. That was my first role. And before that at UCLA. Um, and then before that, I spent three years as an attorney um, representing employees um, who were suing their employers for uh, mostly discrimination, although also some wage and hour um, issues as well. Oh, wow. Is it fair to say that you the stuff that you're working on right now is the opposite of some of the cases that you handled as, as a litigator? Like you're on the opposite side of the mm -hmm. coin that you used to be on? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's funny because, you know, in the world I'm in now, people talk about plaintiff's lawyers as being on the dark side and being the bad guys, which is exactly what plaintiff's lawyers say about defense attorneys, that they're the dark side and the bad guys. Um, so it is, uh, it is very interesting. And I will admit when I started out as an attorney out of law school, I thought I would never be in any kind of defense capacity, huh. you know, in, in, in any way on the defense side. But I think that because I work for an organization whose mission I really believe in, uh, it makes it much easier to kind of um, work on the defense side with a clean conscience. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I... I so I've known you for a while, Josiah, and I, I I think that when you told me you're a lawyer, or you I think you were still in the process of uh, becoming a lawyer, or you hadn't yet taken the bar in California, and it just you know it's uh, I I don't want to say it like I, it surprised me because you are just like one of the most like, you know, Ray of Sunlight kind of guys. And I don't know why, like I always like see the billboards of like, you know, accident, I'll sue them. And it's usually some bald Vin Diesel guy. So I don't know if maybe that was what, but I, yeah. I, I was always curious, like kind of what was your, and I've probably asked you this in the past, but like, what was your path to going down this uh, career path? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because everything that's happened to me professionally has been kind of a fortuitous accident, or maybe that's not even the right way to put it, but that like the right opportunity has always seemed to find me at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, so when I went to law school, I actually had no intention of being a lawyer. Uh, 
Hmm. Um, I, Wait, then I, why did you go? Yeah. <laughs> why did you go to law school? So uh, the the uh, short answer to that is uh, a senator from Illinois turned president, Barack Obama, who I was so excited about in 2008. Um, and I was working admissions, actually. Um, so I was like reading applications and doing some travel to try and get people to go to my alma mater. Mm-hmm. Um And then I just got really inspired during the 2008 campaign. And I felt like, gosh, you know, I want to like do something in policy. Like I want to change the world. And and how can I do that if I don't even know how the law works? So I was like, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to learn how the law works. And then I'll find my way to being, I think at that time, I thought like a legislative aide or something and sort of work my way up and be like one of these career, um, like, adjuncts within, you know, a senator or or representative's Mm -hmm. office. Um, So you're a, you're a lawyer. You, you, uh, you got your law degree because of Obama. Yeah, I honestly, (laughs) I really did. I was like, I was like, man, this guy is so inspiring and like, I want to do something great. And, and this is going to be the way to, to do that. Um, And then Somewhere along the line in law school, I was like, actually, I guess maybe I want to be a lawyer after all. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. What uh, happened? Like, what was it that kind of made you decide that? You know, it's interesting because at the time I was like, am I just falling into this or is this something I'm really Like, choosing? am I just sipping the Kool-Aid kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when you get into law school, one of the things they tell you during orientation, which I found to be one of the things that made like my first year sort of tough is they were like, you're going to learn to think like a lawyer. You're going to think differently. And I was like, gosh, I like the way I think already. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I love myself. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to learn to hate myself. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then rebuild yourself from the ashes. (laughs) Yeah. Then reforge uh, uh, brand new. But, um, but no, but it, it was true though. Um, although lawyers, we are sort of guilty, I think, sometimes of thinking of the world in terms of litigation and legal risk and lawsuits. Um, and I do wonder what it would be like to go back to moving around the world, just thinking of it in normal terms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I but I think just over time, you know, I did a, a my first summer, I worked for our legal aid clinic um, doing uh, work for uh, an in-house employment lawyer in that clinic that was run by my law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found a job the next summer with like this bo- boutique plaintiff side employment law firm, I think would be how it would be described on a website, you know, boutique meaning small. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think that just sounds nice. Like there's going to be cucumber water there. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was a real missed opportunity. We did have Tootsie mm. Rolls in a candy jar at the door, That's but no cute. I'm going to be water. honest. That sounds like the opposite of boutique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if, what if I said Tootsie Roll? <laughs> I would think call the ambulance because I think... <laughs> Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, and in fact, I am having a stroke. But um... <laughs> all right. Well, honestly, uh, Josiah, power through because our schedules are kind of hard to nail down. So we need to finish this podcast tonight. <laughs> true, true. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll eat that toast later that I could smell. But um, uh, uh, no. But you know, so I, I found a job there, and um, my first job was amazing in terms of the amount of responsibility that was given to me. So, I I mean, it turned out that actually when it comes to the legal world, and I don't toot my own horn very often, but I feel 
comfortable enough to do it here. Like I, it, when it comes to legal writing, I am a good legal advocate um, in writing. Like that's a, a real skill that I that I have, and that I do actually like the analytical reasoning because there's a sort a certain sort of puzzle element to it. Um, mm. And I I really liked getting unwinnable cases and trying to find the the kind of corner to peel to try and turn it into something winnable and to do the best by our clients. Hmm. Um, and because I was good at those things, I was given a lot of responsibility on cases to do a lot of writing, um, which meant I worked insane hours. I mean, I would in my, when I was an attorney, uh, not, not so much in the summer when I worked there, but when I came back as an attorney um, after passing the bar, after graduation, um, working for the same firm, I mean, it would be common for me to stay until, you know, nine o'clock at night would not be unusual. I think seven is about the earliest that I would typically get out. And I would say that every month there were at least two or three nights where I was in the office until midnight or later. I worked every weekend. Um, and I can remember I would play this game with myself when I had something big due and I would be in the office at, you know, two in the morning where I would go to the window of our office that looked at other office buildings in in downtown Chicago, and I would count the other windows that were lit, <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, "Okay, those Your are neighbors. other people working." And then, of course, at some point, you're like, "No, that's a hallway." You can, <laughs> you can tell that's just a hallway, but that's someone, you know. <laughs> and why were you saying? You said it was because you had so many cases. Is it because you you said you were good at the legal writing side, or was it just motivating for you to stay? Um, no, so I, I would say that, um, you know, it, it was that there was a lot of responsibility entrusted in me. And I think that I'm sure over time I could have found ways to be more efficient and maybe worked late less frequently. But at some point, there were just the volume of work that I had to do to do at the level that I felt was appropriate for our right. clients. Um I just I I couldn't find a way to do it faster than that because you know and it wasn't just legal writing I also and this was great experience by the way like I learned so much even though at the time it was a real challenge but you know it wasn't just the writing I also would do discovery on cases which is where you for your side gather up basically every document that's requested on the other side and and they do the same for you ideally um, and then you have disputes over that, of course, because sometimes you think the other side isn't being as honest with you and vice versa. Right. Um, and also depositions where you're basically interviewing people with a court reporter there on the record. Um, and right. to do a good deposition, you have to do a lot of prep. So I was doing all of that work. Um, well, at the same time, I was like also writing. I think I think I wrote in the span of one year, I counted it up and I was like, oh, I've written 26 like substantive, like sizable briefs in that year. So every and two I, weeks, yeah, I was I like- I feel like a lawyer out there that potentially is listening is going like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I hope, or, or maybe I was like so inefficient that the lawyer out there is like, that sounds easy to me. Only, <laughs> only 26 motions for summary judgment or responses to those motions. But, you know, I mean, and it could range because some some weeks I might have 12 pages of, you know, professional quality writing that I had to produce. But then other weeks it might be 50 because I would have to write the fact statement and go through the record and, you know, all these things. So it, it you know, 
it was a lot of work, but, um, you know, and then, so I, I did that and then, um, well, let me, I, I'm, I'm curious to ask you this. I want to, sorry to jump in, but no. do you feel like that kind of level of work, those hours, do you feel like you would be happy doing that now in your life? Or do you feel like that is a, a small period of time that that works out, but it doesn't sustain? I, I don't think I could sustain that anymore. And while I'm not adverse to working hard, um, that kind of hourly commitment that I was doing because it was so consistent also that it was late. I mean, just that feeling of being the last person in the building, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yeah. going home at one in the morning because I needed a break and then like writing, taking a two hour nap, waking up and writing like oh <laughs> that gosh. pattern was unsustainable um, for as frequently as it happened, you, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I can, oh yeah. What goes Sorry. into legal writing? Yeah. So, so there's a few elements. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's dependent a little bit on the kind of case in terms of what goes into it, but the basic elements are you have the facts. Um, so you have to know your case inside and out and you have to be able to cite to the specific document and portion of that document that really reinforces your point. Right. So, you know, I'll have, let's say a few hours that I've taken your deposition, there's going to be a couple hundred pages, let's say of deposition testimony when it's all typed out. Um, you know, I have to be able to say, look, you know, ask this question. Joyce said X, you know, page 54 line 12 through 14, you know? And so you cobble together your case from all these bits of evidence, the documents, the depositions, um, Oh, so are these responses? Is it like very roughly like you know how in high school they would always make us write essays and then like have like three supporting points and like <laughs> follow that structure? Is it like similar to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and there are different phases of the case that are more or less demanding that way. So the first phase of the case is your complaint, which you write, um, and your complaint just has to have enough detail in it. Um, you don't have to even have proven it yet. It's just basically you write what you think to be true. Um, and you just have to have enough detail that someone goes, yep, if this all has proven true, then they will win the case. Oh, interesting. You know, but then you do your discovery and then you hit what's called the motion for summary judgment in employment cases, at least in Illinois, every employment case virtually was the subject to a motion for summary judgment. I mean, probably 90% of the cases. And at that point, basically the employer um, will move for summary judgment, which says, hey, we don't need to have a trial. Like, there's not enough evidence here. They had their chance to get all the evidence that they needed to get. And if we put this to a trial, there's not enough here, even if everything comes out the same way that they could possibly win this. Um, And so they do their work of digging through the record. Um, And I always thought in employment in Illinois, it was a little easier for the employer because they could kind of be like, well, the plaintiff hasn't proven X, Y, and Z. And that was kind of enough. And then you would have to be like, no, we have proven it. Look here. Here's this little bit of evidence. Here's this piece of an email. Here's this thing that was said. Um, You know, and a lot of times it's inferential. So you have to make your facts strong so that the inferences to take from them are strong. What's inference? So inference is just like... um, you know, if someone walks in, you hear thunder, someone walks in and they're wet, 
you can infer that it's raining outside. Prove it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, and look, someone, <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone might say, oh, well, there's a broken water main that made a thunderous sound and mm-hmm. it's spewing water from this pipe. You know what I mean? So you could disprove it, right? Or, Oof. you know. That's all. I would just want to be a little troll and just be like, I don't know, could have been a water main. (laughs) No, I shouldn't study. But, oh, Josiah, I did mean to tell you and just to like give some backstory. I was trying to fight a parking ticket and I had to go to court uh, or I didn't have to go to court. But since I'm unemployed, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this to the dang end because I got nothing else to do. And uh, and I met I I met on the Zoom uh, call. And basically, I was just like, Hey, uh, I don't think I should have to pay this because the sign was completely faded. Here's all of my, you know, here's the Google picture from 20, like before, here's it after. And she didn't give me any uh, indication on the call. And they, uh, they, uh, whatever it's called, they agreed in my favor. So I got my money back. Hey, congratulations. Oh, wow. Yay. Successful lawyer right here. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you, you you fought the law and you won. I did. I did against Beverly Hills. Um, and I feel like- Oh, I, dang. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Beverly Hills is pretty notorious because they have cameras everywhere for that kind of stuff. I mean, but I, I feel like I don't want to be like held in contempt of court by like, you know, being like, yeah, I, I, I fucking- <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, that so, <laughs> I, like, because I, I kind of wanted to like go online, and be like, I, I just want to waste their tax dollars, uh, just because I. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, you can tell me after recording if that is like contempt. But um, so let me ask you about your job as it is today. So something that you know really burned me out about what I was doing before is actually the day to day. What is my actual? like day look like, what are the things I'm doing? So I'd love to know, you know, you get into work, you know, generally what time are you getting there, but what are you doing in a day's work? As a risk management professional and as, not as a lawyer, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I should just say real quick, I don't want to give the misinterpretation. There's so many kinds of attorneys who have such different experiences that, you know, you could pick one out of a hat and it would be, be different, you know, but in terms of risk management, um, you know, one of the things I like about the job is that there is high variability from day to day mm-hmm. because you're looking at risk in a kind of holistic way. Um, and every hospital structures their risk management program differently and every organization does. So, um, you know, I am not personally as involved in buying insurance as some of my colleagues in the department. But one of the big pieces that every risk management program is responsible for is purchasing insurance for the institution um, or for the organization, which may sound incredibly dry and boring, um, but that's one of those places where, you know, thinking about, gosh, what can we insure? How can we transfer this out? And how do we make sure that we're actually getting what we paid for in these insurance programs can make an enormous difference in your bottom line because, you know, you're always looking at okay, what are these catastrophic losses that could wipe us out? Um, oh, I see. So, like, can we break that down a little bit? Is it, is it like, insuring, like, potential uh, cases with pediatrician doctors or, like... Like malpractice? Is, yeah. Is it, like, that kind of stuff or is it something different? So, it's it can be broad-ranging. So, you know, a, a generic hospital, you'd expect them to carry some kind of malpractice insurance, mm-hmm. Um 
some sort of property insurance, right? Because a hospital can set on fire or, you know, get hit with whatever the natural disaster in your geographic area is, just like any other building. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at general liability coverage, which is an insurance to help you with your slip and falls mm-hmm. and, you know, run of the mill visitor accidents. You know, someone trips on a carpet in your building or slips on a spilled, you know, water, just like a grocery store or a shopping mall, you know, you have people walking through who can hurt themselves um, in that kind of way. You might look at um, coverage that is sort of unique to a hospital space about, you know, regulatory actions, things like that, um, that you might want to insure against to the, to the, to the degree that you can. Um And, uh, you know, and then more exotic things. So you might want coverage for people who are traveling. Exotic birds. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sea turtles, Um, you know, because you think, yeah, they have a half shell um, turtle power. But what if they get flipped over, you know? And also what if they become mutants and vigilantes, you know? So would you, so when you come into the office in a day, are you reviewing documents? Like are your days filled with meetings? Are they filled with quiet reflection of documents? Uh, what are, what, what's that look like? Sure. So I, I think my day, you know, there's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of talking to different stakeholders. Um, we're plugged in when things go wrong in the hospital um, mm-hmm. so that we know about them ideally, you know, pretty much as early as anyone else so we can help plan for that and apprise our carriers of what's happening. And, and, you know, so that's part of it. Um, we also have what we call our enterprise risk management plan. So we, as a department, along with our compliance team, work to develop an enterprise risk management plan where you're going to look and go, okay, what are going to be the big risks looking forward? And you have all the executives and teams you know, major groups do this and they look forward and they say, okay, here's the big risk areas that we're not prepared for or that we are prepared for to a degree, but the magnitude of risk is so large. Um, and what can we do to shore that up now? Um, you know, and, and you might imagine, um, you know, and I'm speaking somewhat generally because a lot of the work I do is highly confidential. So I was thinking about that as we invited you on, I was like, ah, <laughs> don't know if there's going to be like, well, I can't talk about any of it, but I show up to work, you know, like, so totally understood uh, the the generalities. Of it yeah. All. But, you know, let's say there's a, a a flood, you know, a pipe breaks and it floods an area and we might have a, a, a claim about that. You know, that could be one part of a day. And then, you know, we might be talking to someone about how, you know some risk for litigation has sort of surfaced. And then you might talk about um, a patient care concern, you know, that a team is working on. And so, again, I'm being like, maybe. Hi. <laughs> you, oh, vague, just, but... just replace everything with turtles. And turtles. Uh-huh. so yeah. like a turtle shows up and you step on it, you fall like, you know, and then someone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and sometimes someone says, hey, your turtle uh, tripped me, but you know, you, you look at the facts and 
it really doesn't seem likely that the turtle did that, but this person still might bring a lawsuit about the turtle. So and then you find out that they actually uh, they were where a water main broke. And yeah. they, uh, it's it not raining out from that. Yeah, it's not yeah. raining out there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so exactly. what would you say? Like, how would you say the quality of your work life balance is? Are you are you happy with it? Do you have to take the job home with you? Because I know that there's a big thing when people are deciding what they want to do is just being able to, you know, separate uh, from work and your personal life. So how do you feel like that? Like, is it an effort to do that? Or is have you figured out a good path? Like, I'll let you talk about it. Uh, but yeah, you get the question. <laughs> yeah, well, especially because of the fact that like, you know, if you're if there are things that are happening, like bad things that are happening there, like you're constantly having to deal with those fires. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's actually something I thought about before coming on the podcast is, you know, uh, Jen, I like to think of myself as a relatively sunny person also. Um, <laughs> and so it's funny that I've chosen these jobs where like I'm always seeing the bad aspects of mm-hmm. the places <laughs> where I work yeah. or the bad aspects of society, you know, at a minimum. Um you know, and so there is always some temptation to take the work home with you. Um, I think that I have a much better work-life balance than I used to, um, because even when the hours do get long from time to time, and even though the work can be emotionally taxing, because sometimes you're confronted with things that are, you know, emotionally challenging in a variety of ways, um, mm-hmm. or stressful because you know you're in a heated litigation or something like that, you know, or just stressful in that you're like, you need to grind together and get a bunch of documentation to your lawyer by a deadline and you're having trouble hunting people down, you know, which is a a day-to-day stress that I think is probably familiar in some form or another to every job, right? Yeah. Uh, Because you deal with people all day. But I I think that my work-life balance is much better than it ever used to be. And some of that is just getting older and having done it longer and not taking things personally the way that I once did. I think some of it is obviously my hours are not what they were when I was in litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything seems great in comparison. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and I do have, I would say, you know, good balance between those things and my ability to not take it home with me is much better than it used to be. Although there are still nights where I wake up and, you know, scream. think about work. Yeah. Scream. scream. Yeah. Just scream. Yeah. But yeah, my work-life balance is pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been doing it for longer. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, so then if you were to talk to your, your, your like younger self, like what would you say to them? Gosh. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's funny. Like there have been times in my life where I'm like going to law school is the worst decision I ever made. And other times where I'm like, wow, going to law school really proved to be a turning point in my life and a good decision. Um, and that hasn't necessarily been a linear progression (laughs) from one feeling to the other, you know? Um, and I think that, gosh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. So when I moved out to California, that was like the biggest professional risk I ever took because I just quit my job and didn't have one lined up. Mm. Um, and perhaps relevant to you as host. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we hear you. Yes. Uh, you know, I think that like that was probably the best decision I ever made. 
even though I liked all the people that I worked with, I liked the clients that I worked on behalf of and everything else. Like I just was ready for a big change. Uh, and not to mention my now wife, this was really the only place she could be Mm -hmm. (laughs) professionally to pursue what she wanted. And I think that, um, depending on how far back I was going, I think the piece of advice I would give to myself is that just because you're doing something for people you admire or care about, um, and just because the work you do is good, doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. Mm. And all the more so if you don't admire the people you're working with and work isn't good. (laughs) (laughs) That's great too. (laughs) And I would recommend warning your past self about COVID-19 just in case he wants to prep for that. But you know, I think like what prep would I have done, right? I mean, I was just going to ask that. Like what would (laughs) Jen, what would you have done? I was going to say something dark. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So, um, what one of the other things that I'm always curious about different workplaces are the type of individuals you regularly work with. Um, you know, you're, you're probably working with other um, individuals that have a lawyer background, but also different stakeholders and whatnot. Uh, but generally, would you say that? Uh, and you know, you can opt out if it's like you know you don't want to talk about like coworkers, but like generally, like do you like the general types that? you end up having to work with in this kind of line of work? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of the people I work with are management level employees from across the institution. And I think that, um, we work with a broad enough range of people that you get some range of personality types, but you know, they tend to be more, type A, but also they tend to be more busy. (laughs) And Mm. so getting their time could be a challenge, of course, uh, at times and showing the value of what you're doing, um, you know, and making sure people buy in, I think is always a challenge. And that's probably true in every institution (laughs) everywhere. Um, But I think the other thing too, is that like when you work with professionals and you work with management types uh, all the time, you need to make a point of reminding yourself that not everybody has the same relationship with the workplace that they do and is empowered Mm -hmm. in the same way in the workplace that they are. And I think remembering that really informs the work that you do kind of top to bottom. (laughs) Uh, And so I think that one of the things I really respect about my boss is that she has a very um, keen sense of the way people really are. Um, And I think that, um, good and bad, you have to remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that a lot of the people who do the work well in my field, which, you know, honestly, I haven't even been in this piece of the field that long, but I think a lot of the people who succeed the most are the ones who have the best sense of like, what are just real ordinary people like, you know, let's strip away the the bullshit, like what what's important to people and what's important, period, you know, mm-hmm. and I think- and- and is that because of the people that you're collaborating with or you mean like thinking about potential risks? I think thinking about risks and thinking about the way things will be received and how to actually get stuff done. It helps mm-hmm. a lot to think about people on like the people level, you know what I mean? And not the title level or not the um, territorial level, you know, That's in right, any, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh but I also think like when I think about like the attorneys that I work with on a regular basis who are successful, like it's also thinking about like, 
gosh, how are regular people going to think about this thing at the end of the day? Because when push comes to shove, like some outsider, whether it's a judge, an arbitrator or a panel of 12 people is going to be presented the facts of this thing. And what are they going to think about it as strangers to everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. and their viewpoint isn't going to be protecting management um, or even the I guess like to cut myself off, like when I, so between being a lawyer (laughs) proper and the role I'm in now, um, I got a job doing workplace investigations and, um, you know, I think in the field of workplace investigations, which has a lot of lawyers in it, Mm -hmm. a lot of people tend to have a management bias because management employees come to you and usually they're a little more polished. They speak a little more eloquently. They write better when they write to you. The emails you find of theirs are written a little more professionally. Usually all these things are general. I'm sure there's <laughs> plenty of listeners who are like, that's not the managers where I work. Uh, <laughs> and that may be true. Um, but because a lot of people are either in investigations, just to continue with that example, either HR professionals or their lawyers, there's a bias to gravitate toward those people and be like, they must be telling the truth or they must be right. And I Mm -hmm. think that if the last few years have taught us anything, I hope it's that, you know, the people who are the most polished or the most traditionally educated or the most powerful, whether it's powerful within, you know, the small world of an institution or powerful in society writ large, you know, those are not necessarily the people who know best or who uh, are telling the truth or, you know, and so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the more you can honestly assess things and weigh things, stripping away labels, stripping away status, um, the better you can do in, in really pinpointing where you have issues and, and what to do about them. Yeah, that's fascinating. And like in terms of like, you know, kind of like learning that as you as you went through like your career changes and such. Um, what what were other kind of expectations or maybe even like stereotypes that you you thought existed in the the kind of law world and maybe even the, in the risk management world that you think have like kind of, you changed your mind about? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's funny because in the legal world and Jen, you actually brought this up, like your first p- picture of a lawyer is like Vin Diesel. Yeah, Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel. That's so funny. My first picture is um, that show Suits. Yes, yeah. So Meghan Markle. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Duchess. Yeah. So I, I, I think that most lawyers are not uh, young, sexy singles, nor are they jacked up, bald dudes telling you to call their line. You know, and it's <laughs> all right. Uh, let's just cut the podcast now. I don't care if we're not talking to young, sexy singles. Or jacked up, bald. But no, but I mean, the the reality is, I think one of the th- things that got punctured for me is this stereotype of like, the legal world is like all gotcha moments and like light bulbs. And it's like, no, it's all hard work and preparation that mm-hmm. sometimes occasionally do masquerade as light bulb moments in a trial setting. But for the most part, it's like slow, steady work. It's combing through the details. It's reading case law. It's finding creative arguments. Um, you know, and even those guys who put up billboards, you know, (laughs) and I mean this sincerely, like a lot of their clients really were wronged, you know, a lot Uh of their clients uh really need help. And some of those guys are really good at what they do. Um, and they will provide zealous advocacy, not all of them, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and I recommend uh, a website I have no affiliation with, but, but always recommend, which is called Avo, which can steer you toward people who, 
um, you know, are licensed in good standing and will do things like give you a free consultation and, and stuff like oh, that. That's great. Um, you know, for practice area, that's AVVO. Again, I have no connection to them. It's just uh, a resource I, I like to but recommend. Make sure to you use the code Josiah at checkout. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, for 15% off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think there's a lot of like, like knowing about that is, I, I feel like, very important because a lot of times when you're in those situations, it's a little bit intimidating. And then you hear cases like, um, like the, there's a lot of press going around about like the Girardi, the Tom Girardi cases. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, Jen, have you heard about this too? I, I, that sounds familiar, but I, I'm not familiar really. I'll let Josiah talk about it because I'm sure he. So, so the, he was genuinely, yeah. So he was genuinely like a monster plaintiff's attorney. Like this guy would bring class actions for like mass torts. So he was Aaron Brockovich's attorneys, how he like oh, rose to okay. fame kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his firm, so much money was passing through and indications seem to be that there's a reasonably strong chance that he was sort of funneling money from settlements into his own pocket, but then papering over it by pulling money out of the next settlement down the line because he was doing such a volume of business and there were so many millions involved. Isn't that a Ponzi scheme, effectively? I mean, it's it's a scam for sure. It's basically (laughs) robbing Peter to pay Paul, if true. Uh, yeah. which is my very lawyerly, if true, um, if true. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there were all sorts of shady things where he was like having lavish cruises for members of the state bar, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. like, uh, like the state bar oversight, you know, uh, people and like, they would arrange things for him. And he was like hobnobbing with judges to a degree that is unseemly and raises questions, uh, you know, whether it's, technically a violation or not um and again i don't want to uh you know open myself up to defamation yeah, if true uh, <laughs> if, if true, true that's right if true yes so it's this huge thing and you know the thing is though most lawyers are honest people trying to do good work mm-hmm. um trying to make a good living you know uh i mean lawyers no one accuses them as a field of being underpaid right but at the same time Um, you know, I think a lot of people really care about the work that they do and they try to do it honestly. And then also a lot of lawyers will never set foot in a courtroom. I mean, a lot of lawyers review contracts primarily or work on licensing issues or all the kinds of boring things that make the world work, you know, that are important to you when you need them, but you don't think about all that often, you know, like wills and real estate yeah. related uh transactions and, and all of those kind of things corporate structuring etc you know so that's what your average lawyer probably is compared to like you know the sexy singles the sexy singles that you see on <laughs> yeah. tv and the, uh, the jacked hotline guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 I get it so uh so we're getting uh close to time and you're a lawyer we're getting charged by the hour i'm Um, but, uh, one of the questions I always like to ask is, uh, who do you think, like if someone's listening to this being like, "Ah, do I want to go down this path? Like who is the type of person that would do well and be happy in a role like this? I think someone who likes, uh, details, um, who enjoys reading and writing, um, because reading and research are going to be a part of any lawyer's job. I mean, they just are. Um, And the more detail-oriented you are, the better you're going to be no matter what it is that you're doing because the devil is in the details, whether you're writing a contract and negotiating that or writing someone's will, you you know, or 
litigating a case from start to finish, you, you have to be detail oriented. Um, and I think the one thing I wish I had done that I didn't, I wish I had tried to find a job as a paralegal or in a law office to sort of see what the day-to-day looked like and kind of have some experience um, because I came into law school so fresh and so um, unknowledgeable about the way that anything in the legal system worked. Uh, so it was really, a, a, you, you had to, to use common corporate speak these days, you had to drink from a fire hose, you know, to mm-hmm, kind of put all mm-hmm. the pieces together. Um, so that would be the other thing is I think the ideal someone entering this field uh, enters the field at some low level early in their career so they can see it before they dedicate their life to it. Mm-hmm. Well, Josiah, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And I did want to give you a moment because you also have a podcast. So would you want to plug that? Yes. Uh, and thank you. I I, I, I feel like I've spoken... <laughs> so much here. (laughs) That was appropriate. Uh, But let me speak a little more and just say I have a comedy podcast called The $8 Game Show. Um, It is a sort of improvised, like mad scientist version of a game show uh, where contestants compete through seven preliminary rounds, each worth a dollar. And then they can risk everything they've earned for the chance to walk away with $8. Um, and I record new episodes every once in a while. So <laughs> check that out. So infrequently, always check back. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I, I, that actually just reminded me, Josiah, you were on Jeopardy. Yes. And, <laughs> what? And, but can you, like, I love how you went out. So do you mind just uh, sharing that anecdote of with your uh, $8 game show, like how you ended your Jeopardy run? Yes. Yeah. So uh, in my game of Jeopardy, uh, I like to say I am a many time game show host, one time Jeopardy loser. Uh, but <laughs> when I got to final Jeopardy, I could not be caught by the person in third place and I could not catch the person in first. Uh, and so it presented a rare opportunity. So uh, I got it right. And when they revealed my bet, um, I had 9400 and I bet $8. Uh, which Ken Jennings seemed amused by, so he was he he was impressed by the plug. So it is a great plug. And were uh, and weren't you the first show filmed after uh, Alex Trebek passed away? So yeah, I was there on the first taping day. So they taped five episodes a day, um, and so I was the Wednesday episode. So I was like in the and they let us wow. be in the audience, spaced apart from each other, to watch all the other games be played, uh, which was. It was crazy because, you know, Alex Trebek is such an icon and mm-hmm. and you never know how people like that are viewed by the people around them. But it was right. so clear, like everybody loved him, you know, yeah. like just the respect for him when you were there and everything people would say about him and kind of the attitude and energy in the room was like, you know, one of doing a job and moving on, but also, you know, a lot of genuine care for Alex. That's that's amazing. And also, uh yeah, we just uh, dropped that at the end that you were on Jeopardy. Uh, so uh, hopefully, <laughs> who's ever listening, still listen. Jose, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Joyce and I are going to debrief. Joyce. Done. Back without Josiah, sadly, because... I'm telling you, he is like f- seriously one of my favorite people. Oh, that's that's so awesome. Yeah, he's great. And I like like I had 
I could have talked to him forever. I was like piling on the questions and I was just getting ready to shoot him out. But we ran out of time, but it was so much fun. I, you know, I, I knew that that was the focus of his work, but I didn't realize it had the different title. And it made mm-hmm. me think about some of the things that I had to do at like the last place that we worked together, which is mm-hmm. like kind of risk assessment but without like any of the knowledge of how to effectively do it. And that's so helpful to know what the real uh, meat and potatoes of the job is, because I like it in theory, but to th- that I, and I like having attention to detail, but I feel like I would miss things, you know, I, mm. you know, I'm not. I'm not that focused of a reader and being able to switch between like you're going to meetings and you've got high energy and uh, with the different people. And then you also have to read a super, uh, super, uh, not dry, but like a mechanical thing to technical. Yeah. In the weeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I always feel like that's helpful to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, just because like, like knowing more about what goes into it. Now it makes me kind of rethink about, you know, some of my friends, Mm -hmm. like what their day to day is like, like practicing law or like, you know, people who are interested in, in like, or more hands-on with like the contract side of things. It's just very like, wow. It's very demanding. So it makes me think of like, like Amanda. Yeah. I was thinking of Amanda. My gosh. Yeah. Cause it's like you said, like we were in meetings in and out all the time. Mm -hmm. And then to have to go like in the weeds and just like in that mode is just crazy impressive. Yeah. I I remember trying to get on Amanda's calendar and I can't imagine doing all of the things that she did uh, on the technical side, in addition to just having to be present at so many things. Like, yeah. Yeah. And for, for our listeners, Amanda is a a brilliant corporate lawyer who uh, we had the pleasure of working with at our last jobs. Um, And she was such a badass. She yeah is she was, such a badass. She, is, yeah. <laughs> she remains to be a badass. She remains to be a badass. Yes, exactly. Well, but guys, yeah, I I don't think I'm gonna be. I don't think I'm gonna. I I I have. I I like it in concept, but I don't think that that's gonna be the path I take. You yeah, know? I don't think it's. I don't think it's my forte either. Um, I loved learning about it, but uh, oh yeah. What what were what what's like the the main thing that kind of stood out to you? What do you think? It, like you're gonna walk away with today after talking to Josiah? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a newfound respect in it, honestly, because I do think the, the concept of being a lawyer can be very stereotypical. (laughs) And I, maybe, maybe me (laughs) thinking, but like it, it's such a balance of different skill sets that to me seems exhausting. So, you know, working with partners, stakeholders, being super detail oriented and technical, and then also being in high emotional um, mm. situations. It's just that those transitions of focus can mm-hmm. be so draining. So it's that, that it's a newfound respect of, though everything that goes into being able to be effective in that job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what about you yeah I like I, I think I also agree that like there is a better understanding of like the work that is required to go into it and also recognition that it's probably not my forte um mm-hmm. but I think that like I now appreciate more of the 
like why you would want to go into something like this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think I like I do know a lot of people who are just like just you, you know those people who are just crazy intense researchers. Yeah. Who know so much and mm-hmm. like can talk extremely confidently about a very deep um a deep topic. Yeah. I think like people think people like that I feel would be fantastic and like super motivated and inspired to get into this line of work. Yeah. Um I like like I said it's not me but I think that like that's kind of what I'm taking away is that like mm-hmm. when Josiah was talking about how um he likes to find the near impossible cases and just research until he finds a solution that maybe mm-hmm. like requires a little bit more creativity that I can see a lot of people really just loving, you yeah. know, it's kind of like what he said, puzzle, like solving. Yeah. Um, so th- I thought that was really cool. I think that's my biggest kind of a newfound appreciation for lawyers. And I think something at least that I feel is that to have a career that's a good match you need to both feel like you're good at it and it also challenge you because if yeah. you're good at it and it's all easy, then it becomes, you know, humdrum. And if it's all challenge, you're just going to, I mean, man, it, it's easy to have imposter syndrome when you're good at yeah. it. Yeah. And so it feels like such a, an interesting career because it, that there's, it's never going to be simple. Right. And right. it's all, but you know, as long as you're good at it. And like you said, like those like crazy researchers and whatnot, it's like, then you can continue to challenge yourself. It's seems like a good fit. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, what you just said makes me think of, have you heard of Ikigai? Uh, gosh, I feel like I'm I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but it's basically like how your, your ideal, like passion career is the overlap. Yeah. You know, that Venn diagram looking thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what it makes me think of is that like, being able to find that happy balance between like, you have a skill in it, you that skill is valued. And aka, you get paid for it. And, um, and uh, what was the third section? Um, Did you already say passion? Passion? purpose yeah yeah that's right that's right yeah purpose and passion like it, you enjoy it yeah like yeah you have to yeah that that the balance of those three well you so. know your girl loves a venn diagram a flow chart <laughs> uh when you first said it i thought it was uh that practice of broken china being repaired with gold uh with gold filler and it makes it stronger like oh re- yeah yeah that's beautiful too, but uh, that yeah. is, yeah. But different. Um, slightly different. <laughs> slightly, just slightly. Well, I think that that's all for us today. Um, very invigorating conversation. Totally. Uh, very happy to have you and me and Josiah all on. So again, this was, so what do you do? And we're looking to interview people in different jobs and hoping to understand what people do. And maybe one of us will figure out what we should do to make money (laughs) soon. (laughs) Uh, But until then, uh, I'm Jen. I'm Joyce. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.